Muy buenos días. Getting set up here. Usually that bumper is a little bit longer, so give me a second. If you're visiting, I want to thank you for joining us. My name is Peter, and I serve alongside Jess Stevens and Thaddeus Brown on our elder team. And I've been tasked by our elder team to serve as the lead pastor, which means I get to lead our staff in equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and I get to preach the word of God. Uh, Now, last week, Alberto kicked off a new series from the book of Hebrews that we're doing alongside churches all over the globe in our Every Nation family. Uh, He kicked off in chapter 10 of Hebrews, and after how powerful it was last week, I'm just grateful that I got invited back to preach this week. I'm going to pick up in week two of our Great Faith series, chapter 11 now of Hebrews, and I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll be, uh, I'll just read verses 1 through 6 is our text today. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which He was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And though through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The word of God. Thanks be to God. God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. Lord, all too often we can swim in a sea of religious familiarity that we mistake for faith. So I'm asking that you would blow apart our visible paradigms for faith and graciously infuse us with your desire for our faith, manifest in our hearts, in our relationships, in our actions, so that your name would be honored by us, that nations would tremble when they see our joy in you, regardless of our circumstances. Amen. Today I want to work through our passage pretty much verse by verse. I want to give some key observations about faith, and I'm trusting that in the midst of me giving observations, more importantly, the Holy Spirit will give you 
impartation about what he wants you to know and, and be endued with, with faith, with true faith. Faith's one of those things that it's way too easy to have a misunderstanding about it. Uh, we all know that old George Michael song, you know, you got to have faith, faith, faith. Everyone knows that. Um, like that, we can just take this word and it can mean whatever and apply it to whatever. But faith here, especially in this text, it's specific, not general. It's, it's powerful, not just symbolic. So my first observation about faith actually builds on our text from last week. Observation one, faith forms us into a staunch and courageous people. This is really the reason why Hebrews was written. And especially why you see chapter 11 here. It's because there's a sort of people that the writer of Hebrews is affirming at the end of chapter 10 that Alberto preached about last week, a strange sort of people that God still intends for us to be today. So I want to read some of these verses, and I hope that we can all be amazed and confounded by this sort of people and attach ourselves to a faith that we could never make ourselves into this sort of strange people. But through faith, God would form us into being this. The writer of Hebrews tells these early Jewish Christians, But recall the former days after you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Everyone say hard struggle. struggle. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Now, in the end of our passage, in verse 6, we'll come back to this idea of reward. But I want to stop here before we move on. This is a staunch and immovable type of people that in any generation, any culture, this sort of behavior would have been strange, scandalously strange. What kind of people joyfully accepts the plundering of their property? This sort of mentioning is, is almost cartoonish. There are three layers to this Except joyfully accepting the plundering of your property, three layers that confound me. First of all, that, that this happened in the first place. Presumably the, the Roman officials, the, the government, if you will, was plundering their property and no one was immediately triggered. There was no Instagram story to, to talk about the outrage of what was happening. If it were me, I would be blogging about it. I would start a GoFundMe. I would articulate and communicate the ways that this incident that happened to me shows the fundamental breakdown of our democratic republic. We would be outraged. The fact that they saw this happen in the first place 
that their rights were being oppressed and they were okay with it was strange. Now, I want to make mention of why, though the word of God doesn't change, what we see the word of God do in culture should definitely transfer our expectations. Jesus said he is beautifying his people so that when he comes back, it will, we will be different, we will be sanctified, we'll be grown. There's reason to expect that when the, the word of God leavens a culture, we can expect an increasing amount of rights. We can expect that, that human dignity is honored in ways today where maybe there wasn't that expectation in Roman culture. And today, especially as we celebrate a man like MLK, who was willing to sacrifice like Christ to lift up the power of what only Christ could pay for in granting and honoring the dignity of human beings with rights, though we can expect so much more, it doesn't mean that we don't still have a better possession than the rights that could be afforded here on earth. And so you have this people, these early Jewish Christians that had their property plundered right before their eyes and they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. And the second layer that confounds me is that this word joyfully actually means joyfully. I mean, come on, joyfully? It said in in Acts 4 that the early disciples were counted it joyous that they were considered worthy to suffer for Christ. Now, I know what it's like to suffer for my own foolishness, and it's not suffering for Christ when I'm suffering for my own foolishness. But when God considers you worthy to suffer for Christ, the possession you gain in him is way better than the things that you lose. So they were joyfully willing to accept the plundering of their property. And the third layer about this, chapter 10, before we get to chapter 11, that confounds me, is that Paul commended this. Like, this is good that this happened. What sort of people can act like this? A people who are very confident through trust, through what we're going to talk about, faith, that they have a better possession than what the best of Romans or Americans can grant them what only a man who lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose again from the dead can afford to us a better possession. See, lesser possessions on earth tend to possess us. But faith in Christ, our better possession, forms us into a staunch and immovable sort of people. When I say forms, I mean that this is a process. When we place our faith in Jesus, we struggle with a lot of things on earth, and we can struggle well. We can struggle in community. We can, we can be in the process where we are in the habit. Everyone say habit. habit. This is good, because understanding that habits form us into a people helps us to rid ourselves of shame and condemnation in the process. So we have to have habits where we say, this 
is a possession that's being, in, in essence, plundered from me by circumstances or by people or by betrayal or whatever. And I'm taking this thing and I'm counting it as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And so I take every, every day that we do this at the, at the table through faith, every week, we say, this thing I trade, I surrender, I confess, I lay down, and I pick up my full sustenance, which is Christ, a possession that cannot be taken away from me. And so by faith, I'm training my mind through faith to be formed into something better than my circumstances would dictate. Forms, it's a habit. And you repeat it on hard days, especially. If you're struggling and you don't feel like coming to church, it's the perfect day to come to church because it's a day for faith. I was so proud of our brother Richard, a member in this church who lost his wife, Jay, uh, another member in, in this church. She was one of our greatest kids workers in her short time of volunteering. It was unexpected to us to lose her. Not even two weeks ago. And yesterday we were celebrating her life at the memorial. And here you have Richard, her husband, singing with power and anointing about God's faithfulness. You see, faith is a beautiful thing. And we should lift up faith. We should also understand that the circumstances that require it is what God uses to form us into a sort of people. Faith forms us into a staunch and courageous people. Observation number two, faith has little to do with who we are and everything to do with who God is. Now you might say, Pastor Peter, that's kind of a contradiction, right? Because point one was about the type of people that we're being formed into, but now you're saying this is about God and not us? Well, yeah. And here's the tie-in. God is staunch and courageous, And God made us in his image, but we've fallen from his image. In human sin, which we've all participated in, it's in our DNA, it's in our blood, it's in our emotional disposition to the core. We've all participated in human depravity, in everything in human existence. Even our best intentions and our most virtuous moments are tinged and tangled up by sin and depravity. And so God wants us To be like him, and Jesus, the perfect one, came and lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death so that we could place our faith in him and be like him. It's about him, his glory, his character, his person. Faith is not about your greatness. It's about his. He wants to make us like himself. That's what redemption is all about. Redemption means taking back. Jesus said, I made you in my image. You messed that up, but I, you can't unmess up what I'm going to fix. That's what faith is. That's why Jesus came and died and rose again from the dead, punking death forever and ever, so that we could be formed in this sort of people that's like him. God is this way. He's staunch and courageous. A theological term is he's immutable. It's an old term, meaning he's, he's unchanging. He's unshakable. He's unstoppable. He's, he's untriggerable. He's not thrown off of his mark by circumstances or by my behavior or bad attitude. He continues to be God 
steadfast, loving, bold, God. He is who he is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And faith is the only way that we can be like him. We can't, we can't just say, okay, man, Jesus is a great uh, person. And so because he's a great person that I admire, I'm going to wear a, a bracelet that reminds me, you know, do what Jesus... No. I've, I've worn one of those, and I think it's okay to wear a WWJD bracelet. But only so that we can remember, what would Jesus do? I could never do that. But I can have faith. Faith is trusting that he did for me what I could not do for myself. And, and when I place my faith in him, it changes me, but not to the degree that I don't need to continue to have faith. I'm still walking in repentance 21 years after receiving Christ for the first time. He's still Lord and Savior. I place my faith in him. He's still making me like him. There's still progress to be made. And there's no shame in the process. Faith should make you more like God. It's about him and not about us. It forms us into being like him. And if we're not becoming like him, if we're not becoming more godly, then what we're calling faith is something else. James says it this way. He says, you say that you have faith, but you don't have works, meaning you don't have any sort of godliness and like reflection that you're like Jesus. He says, you, you say you have faith, but you don't have works. He tauntingly says, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Let's not get the fruit mixed up with the root. The root is faith, by grace through faith. But then again, let's not totally, completely cut off the fruit. Jesus says there will be fruit when we abide in him. Faith makes us like God. Now, let me show you in chapter 11. We're finally to chapter 11. How long is this going to go? I don't know. I was asking that question. Verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This, This faith that makes us like God is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I have to say, this is one of those verses that's all too easy to cherry pick and apply it to something else. That's why I said earlier, the faith is specific and not just general. Uh, I can imagine a guy uh, putting this verse on his Instagram picture for, you know, like a a faith to get a six-pack or something silly like that. But our passage won't let us generalize this. Uh, This passage, verses 1 through 6, is one of those uh, what we call sandwiches in Scripture. So the end of our passage is is meant to define and contextualize the start of our passage. Verse 6, I'm going to read. I'm going to hold verse 1 up there. So see if we can put verse 6 up with verse 1. Can't do that. Okay, if you have your Bible with you, keep your finger on verse 1. Remember, assurance of things hoped for. Everyone say assurance. Assurance. And then conviction of things not seen. Everyone say conviction. Conviction. All right? So verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
First of all, faith is about pleasing God. The hope, the conviction, the assurance is not about pleasing ourselves. It's about pleasing God. It's not about improving upon ourselves. It's about pleasing God and drawing near to him. Now, here's where the correlation comes. Verse 6, without faith, it's possible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I say that faith is about who God is, not just about who we are. And so the verse 1, the, the assurance of things hoped for, correlates with the fact that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. We hope in God and being like him, that he rewards us in ways that we can't reward ourselves. Now what is the conviction of things that are unseen? It's that God exists. Faith is about who he is. It's not just about us. The, when we have faith, it's not just the subject of the faith, us. It's the object of where we put our faith. That he is real and that he is rewarder. That he exists and that he extends his grace to us. That's why we can have conviction. That's why we can have assurance. That's why we can trade our reward today for a better reward tomorrow, a better possession. That's why we can be the sort of people that are not easily thrown off. But if it's a good day as we consider good or a bad day as we consider bad, it's always a faith day. So great faith is about a great God that we can trust in. Faith forms us into a staunch and courageous people. Two, faith has little to do with who we are and everything to do with who God is. Observation three, faith isn't the alternative to understanding. It's the portal. It's the portal. Far too many of us often, when we think about faith, we think about like blind faith. It's like, okay, I could understand something like with science or something like uh, Nacho Libre talked about. Or I could have faith. And that is a false dichotomy. It's not faith instead of reason, almost like believing in Santa Claus or unicorns. It's faith in a personal God. Verse 3, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is even a ongoing question of physics. Why is there something rather than nothing? A question that can only be answered with faith. Why is there human consciousness? By faith we understand. Faith isn't some abstract mindfulness activity. Faith is trusting in the person of God with a particular character that's unchanging. Faith isn't categorically different than trusting within a relationship. I trust my wife. We've been married for almost 13 years. I trust her. I don't, I don't see her every moment of every day of her life to have absolute proof, quote-unquote, of her ongoing existence and faithfulness. But I trust her. I have good reasons to trust her, not blind reasons I have good reasons to have faith in her. When I was 14 years old, I had what I thought was faith, going to church and 
saying sorry about things I had no intention of changing nor power to change. I thought that was faith. Saying sorry to a God that could not be known. When I learned that God wants us to know him like father, son, intimate, like he wants to speak to us, uh, say, way to go champ type stuff to us, affirm us with prophetic power, with grace, with, with illuminating, illuminating our minds to a scripture to where I started reading the Bible and it was reading me. I, this whole thing of like relationship blew my mind that I could have faith in God, but it was like a relational trust, like a relationship. It totally blew open my understanding and Jesus drew me to himself and made me new, made me a son, no longer an enemy, a religious enemy. That blew my mind. And what's happened in the last 21 years is the fight to trust God. The God that made me new is the God that says, renew your mind every day. Walk in repentance every day. Have faith every day. Faith is trusting in a real God. And it's much like marriage. See, in marriage, there's alternatives to trusting our spouse, to being faithful to our spouse. That's why in, in a marriage ceremony, a wedding ceremony, we, part of the vows is forsaking all others, I keep myself only for you. Vows are my favorite part of a wedding. It's this ancient power and promise manifest in this new work of God in a couple. Forsaking all others, I keep myself only for you. Well, this sounds a lot like, you know, the, the one, number one on the list of the ten, the Decalogue. You shall have no other God but me. You see, the commands of God are relational commands. There's no other gods. Nothing is, is to be in your life before God. God doesn't want to be a part of your life. He intends to be God. Beside me, there is no other, he says. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. He just presumes upon this position of godness being that he is God. I didn't understand this until I could actually be in relationship with God. And he said, you will be faithful to me because I've been faithful to you. And therefore, you will have faith. No gods before me, not Baal or Krishna or Buddha or Oprah or football or family or safety or leisure or Netflix or the list could go on. No other gods before me. Faith in Jesus is real and tangible, involves mystery, definitely involves mystery. It's, it's wise to remind ourselves that there are parts that we can understand. Mark Twain says, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the parts I do understand. So there's parts that we understand. There's parts that are still mysterious. But it's the word of God that gives us understanding and particularly faith in God. Faith forms us into a staunch and courageous people. Faith has little to do with who we are and has everything to do with who God is. Faith isn't the alternative to understanding, it's the portal. And finally, number four, faith seeks God's reward tomorrow, not man's reward today. See, verses one and six talk about this assurance and this reward. In our life, we can be the sort of people that 
whether we have things or we lose things, we're still, in essence, the same because of this faith, this greater possession that we have in Christ. And the operative question for us, all of us today, is will I trade what I have now, what I'm aspiring to now, trade it for bringing pleasure to God instead of just bringing pleasure to myself? That's how I trade my reward, man's reward, for God's reward. It's a habit. It causes me to draw near to God when I have hands free to do so, to embrace Him. I have to let go of a lot of things. The outcome of faith is drawing near to God, not drawing near to your goals. Don't be successful failures where you achieve so, so much, but it's something other than bringing pleasure to God. Now, ironically, this is my ongoing struggle with ministry. You'd think I would be immune from this sentiment and this uh, false gospel because, you know, I'm doing God's work, right? But I feel like the, the struggle of this is like one of the preeminent battles of my life. Is, is trying to measure my life by the things that I see and what I'm accomplishing for God instead of bringing what I have before God and saying, God, success is being faithful to you today and hearing your voice and doing what you tell me to do. Uh, like we shared last week, Mother Teresa once said, don't, don't aim for success, aim for faithfulness. It's, it's God's reward tomorrow. Now, we get some rewards today, but the question is whether there's little or much Regardless of if, if we've, we've accomplished our goals or we're trying to do that, are we daily, regularly able to say, this, this is yours. I turn my hands over in praise and, and, and trust in you. This is a battle for our souls. Consider Enoch. It says that Enoch had faith. He was taken up into heaven. Let's not think that, oh, Enoch lived such a great life that God counted him worthy just by, based on his life. No, Hebrews says Enoch had faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know that, Ab- that Enoch pleased God. You know, there's some sort of arguments there and some reasoning. Therefore, Enoch was with God because he had faith for no other reason. By grace through faith, Enoch stood before God. He pleased God. You know what's kind of crazy about Enoch's life is we don't know much about his life. He's, he's put in here in Hebrews 11 with all these other people who suffered so much. Enoch, all we know about him was he, he walked with God. And if you read too fast, it's easy to conclude wrong things like Enoch didn't really have any struggles in life. He just walked with God. You know, it's probably boring, but, you know, it was good for him. No, no. Enoch's life was after Genesis 3, the curse of futility. Enoch knew what it meant to sow in fields and not reap what he sowed and, and to, to struggle with the rains not coordinating with his planting plans. And whatever he went through, whatever we struggle with, the alternatives to faith, Enoch had too. 
Sometimes I get lost in my mind too, thinking like, man, if I was only like these people in Hebrews 11, the other people that he later describes, where I was suffering the, the worst of persecution. I, I'm reading right now another book about one of, my, one of our brothers in China suffering extreme persecution in China. I sometimes wrongly fantasize things like, well, if I was called to that life, I would have a lot more faith. Where God's telling me, what about your life? What about your life? How irreverent for me to think that, you know, somehow God made a mistake in giving me the life that I'm supposed to live. I remember being in college and, and I wanted to, I felt like I couldn't, if I don't move somewhere else and suffer with, with a, a dirt floor somewhere, then I'm not pleasing to God. And I, I had one of my mentors say, hey, Peter, did you ever have a conversation with God, you know, trying to help him decide where you would be born and what culture you'd be born into and what sort of privileges you would manage? I said, no, no, like he just made that decision all on his own. And he said, well, I'm pretty sure God can work with you with where you are, the privileges you have. And you shouldn't add shame to it, but faith. No matter what you have, maybe you're suffering great persecution. I want you to have peace. Maybe you're not. I want you to have peace that enables faith. Faith like Enoch. Faith like able. Faith like the people we're going to read about next week. But let me cheat a little bit and conclude with chapter 12. First two verses of chapter 12 reflects kind of a conclusion statement that puts all these people together with a conclusion that says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to take a few more minutes to consider what it means to look to Jesus. Jesus sought a reward that was better than what he had on, on earth at the time. He, saw, he sought a reward that was better than what he had before he came to the earth, which was infinitely great. And the way for us to understand Jesus is to understand Jesus in the context of the two characters that we just read about. Jesus is the better Abel and the better Enoch. I want you to see this. Stick with me here. Verse 5, Enoch was pleasing to God with how he walked with God. Well, Jesus was so much more. He healed the sick. He lived a perfect life. Healed the sick, was able to speak boldly and powerfully to the highest of elites in culture, and yet was able to, to have children hanging all over him with peace and power. He lived a perfect life. He is the ideal of all ideals. Any romance that's ever been written just tries its best to make something that's somewhat similar to Jesus and falls short. There's no one like Jesus. Jesus pleased God with his life. And so Jesus had all the right to have what Enoch had, to be taken up into heaven. 
But he said, no. I'm going to be the better Abel. By faith, Abel, verse 4, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. What better gift was there than the cross at Calvary? Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And I'm here to say the blood of Jesus speaks an infinitely better word than the blood of Abel. That's why we can have faith. Because he lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose again from the dead so that he could extend to us his new life. We can have faith in him. From the moment we are aware that this, this is available to us, to the days that we're suffering through persecution, or through mundane days that we apply faith to the mundane, we can have this life that Jesus has purchased. Would you stand to your feet with me, please?